Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. From Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., this is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. And good afternoon out there in Radio Land. It is me, back from the Great White North. Uh... It is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics. Joining me here in Studio A, across the table from me, he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade. Served on the last count for presidents. He is Undersecretary that we know as Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello, Justin. And to my left, not ironically, uh, he is the former Joe Biden political operative and legal counselor in the state of Maryland in the great district of Columbia. He's the one we know as Dan Littner Esquire. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Justin. Joining us from Boca Del Vista, Florida, he is the retired one-star admiral from your United States Navy, the one we know as Admiral Ken Carradine. Hello, Admiral. Greetings from God's waiting room. Exactly. And from the Bay State in an undisclosed location in Massachusetts, he is the former Huff Post contributing reporter and the author of American Politics on the Rocks. He is Rich Rubino. Hello, Rich. Hello. Uh, we've got a uh, lot to talk about. The uh, Obviously, uh, the, the big topic here in D.C. Uh, over the past few days has been the issue of Iran. Tensions have been growing between Tehran and Washington on an exponential basis. It has gone from what looked like could be a shooting war with attacks on commercial shipping in the uh, Straits of Hormuz, which is an active petroleum tanker uh, shipping lane. Uh, There have been attacks at last count on four different tankers of various flag states. And then it was escalated over the weekend with a shooting down of an American drone, a a large American drone, uh, over what the Americans are claiming international territorial airspace and waters. Iran is claiming that that the U.S. violated their sovereign airspace and waters with this Global Hawk drone. Uh, worth about 110 million dollars. Uh, the, the the big the big issue that we've got to deal with is, and, and there are so many angles to this. Uh, let's start with how did we get here? Uh, Alan Moore, you have dealt on the international stage. You've you've even dealt with in, on international trade, even some of the sanctions with Iran. You've been around that. The the reality is, is we had what we thought was a good, stable path forward in keeping Iran in check in the region with the joint agreement. And with the advent of the Trump administration, the removal of the U.S. from the joint agreement seemed to light the fuse. Is this something that we created? Is this something that our allies could have stopped, or, or is that even a factor in where how we got here to begin with? Well, so I'll remind you that the joint agreement was quite controversial. Um, it was a however agreement involving uh, six, five, six countries, um, and the whole focus of the agreement was to postpone the acquisition of a nuclear weapon by Iran. Iran had been enriching uranium. It, it had it purchased um, uh, various technologies. It was, it was known to be uh, working towards the end of having a, a nuclear weapon um, and possibly a delivery mechanism because they were, they were continuing to pursue um, ballistic missile um, uh, technology. Uh, or intercontinental uh, uh, missile technology. An ICBM capacity. So, 
So a lot to be concerned about, a lot that that presidents of the U.S. have been concerned about. President Obama was concerned about it. Republicans have been concerned about it. The the challenge was to figure out a path that would provide us, the U.S. and the rest of the world, assurances that Iran would not end up with a nuclear weapon. uh, and and then what was in it for them? And and we'd put a, a, an enormous amount of pressure on them in in recent years um, through sanctions that were that were quite uh, challenging for Iran and for its people. Um, uh, a deal was struck uh, in return for. Uh, the lifting of some of the sanctions, a return of monies that belonged to Iran, but that had been locked up. Somebody's rocking their <laughs> right. chair, um, <laughs> and and uh, uh, in in exchange uh, for uh, the lifting of some sanctions, meaning the ability to sell some oil uh, and and access to uh, so hundreds of millions of dollars um, that we had locked up. Uh, uh, when when the hostages were taken a very long time ago, but we seem to have had a almost a path forward with Iran with well, the joint the, agreement, whether you liked it or not. Well, all, it all, was it's, com- it's not well, almost a path forward; it was a path forward. No, but we had. I mean, we, we had we had we had. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not saying that Iran was the greatest in compliance, but. They were complying with the majority of the rules of the agreement. So, so, they were complying with so, the agreement. So I, I think I think Dan's right here, and 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 U.S. government senior officials, even of this administration, said they are complying with the agreement. The question was always whether it, it was a good enough agreement that we should preserve it. And during his campaign, President Trump, then candidate Trump, said that was. It was among, it was among those in the long list of worst agreements the United States had ever made. If it was trade, then that was the worst, and and if it was it, it, this was another one of the worst. It wasn't the worst, but it was controversial, and there were plenty of people who opposed it at the time. But it didn't require congressional approval, and and at the time there were some senators who made a particular and, and congressmen who made the particular point, saying, "Hey, Iran, watch out! Remember what what a president gives, a president can take away." And sure enough, this president, having said he was going to uh, uh, walk away from that agreement, did right. did in fact do it. It was very controversial at the time. It was. It was. But but all I'm saying is, it it wasn't as though everyone loved the agreement, or that there weren't right. there weren't there wasn't notice given that we might in fact walk away. Right. 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 Now, Dan Lipner. When we when we when we talk about the agreement itself, like it, hate it, don't mind it. The bottom line here, the international community, everybody, even our intelligence partners, were largely in agreement that Iran was, with small minor exceptions, Iran was largely in compliance with the agreement and did not need to have this agreement blown up the way the Trump administration did that. Is that accurate? I'm unaware what those few minor exceptions were. As far as I could, I remember reading all of the stories about this. This includes the the Europeans, including the British and the Russians and everyone else saying that the Iranians were in compliance. No, 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 they were largely in compliance. I mean... To which I, I, I... when you say largely in compliance, you're suggesting that the 99%. Give me the 1% that was were, not in compliance. They were in compliance. They, the they, they were still exporting terror in the area. Thank you. Were, was that were, part of the agreement? That wasn't part of the agreement. That was the, That's the point, though, that right. I mean, Ken's making and that I was trying to make, that, that they were upholding to the letter a bad agreement in the eyes of those in the uh, in and around Trump and elsewhere who said, bad agreement, we need to walk away from it. Yes, they're complying with it, but it was not a good enough agreement for us to live with. It was the argument. Right. Well, now, it, which is the insanity of what the president has done, the great negotiator-in-chief. If you actually wanted to walk away from this agreement, there's nothing that would have prevented him from saying, we're going to leave this agreement on the table, but here's something that's better for everyone. We're going to actually provide Iran, whatever, larger access to markets, including American markets and American capital in exchange for 
for replacement of this agreement. Well, Instead, go, yeah. he's been a one-trick pony and only gone with the strong-arm approach, and lo and behold, the Iranians have responded. Right. Well, I want to go, first of all, I want to go historically, because even before the agreement, we had sanctions. Rich Rubino, one would argue, were the sanctions pre-agreement effective in keeping Iran in check in the region? Uh, I certainly don't think so. I think what the sanctions have done, and I think what the current sanctions have done, and certainly the sanctions that first Obama put on, then took off, and the sanctions that Trump did, that Trump put on, I think what they what the essential result of them has been is that they have unified at least the Iranian people against the West. You know, you ask the question, why is why are they having you know why are people in Iran, for example, having death to America Day? Well, part of it, when you put economic sanctions on people, I mean, it's essentially, it's like, uh, Wood, it's like Woodrow Wilson said, it's, a, it's like Woodrow Wilson said about economic sanctions, it's essentially, it's, it's basically war by other means, or, or Clausewitz, rather, it's essentially, it's war by other means. What you're doing is you're strangling an economy, and it's almost become, it's become politically correct. I mean, even go back to 2012, for example. Um, when Mitt Romney was talking about how was talking about sanctions on Iran, and he was saying we're going to put some of the toughest sanctions on the country, and Barack Obama was saying we're going to put some of the toughest sanctions on the country and continue to do this. Well, what they're really saying is that we're going to strangle not only the regime necessarily. There's such a thing as smart sanctions, which can just necessarily go after the business leaders, the Ayatollah. Right. But what they're saying is we're going to go after the actual people and the actual people that live in this country. That not you know the actual the 80 million people that live in the that live in Iran are the ones that aren't going to necessarily that are not going to be able, for example to get medical equipment, right. that everything stuff is going to cost more. Yeah, Rich, go Rich the roof. hold on. Rich, hold on. Let me, let me ask this question, though. When, when you talk about, you know, even back in 2012, one would argue that the sanctions helped bring up what could have been a velvet revolution inside Iran. There was a lot of pro-American support in the streets at that time, they had largely, there was a large yearning for Western products, Western culture inside Tehran. What changed from the sanctions that we imposed back then to now that made the streets go from, hey, we want America to death to America? Well, I think that, I mean, I think, first of all, part of the whole death to America thing, I don't think, I don't know if it's necessarily the Iranian people that are saying as much as it's something that I think government officials are saying, but I think that part of it, at least the way I look at it, I think when President Khatami came in, um, and he was, he was basically a moderate leader, he actually gave a, he, and this is what I think kind of sparked somewhat, of what, what, somewhat in terms of the Ethiopian Revolution, he basically sent a letter to President Clinton to Malin Albright, who was Secretary of State at the time, and saying, we want to reproach Ma, we want to have, we want to have a relaxation of tensions. Um, and, you know, it basically nothing, nothing really happened out of that. But there were a lot of, there were a lot of young people in Iran in terms of the Velvet Revolution. And a lot of those young people who were out, who were out, who were out on the streets protesting knew, know how oppressive the Iranian regime is. They know that it's essentially a Shia theocracy. But I think they saw the United States and they see the, and they see the West. And I think certainly social media has helped that, what social media right. they get. And they're saying, you know, we want, we want to be a part of that. But when then the United States, you know, is opposing sanctions on their country, is opposing economic sanctions, they also, you know, they can they have a reason. It's the same thing, by the way, what happened in Iraq, for example, during Saddam Hussein's regime. Right after George, right after the right after the Gulf War, the George George H W Bush put on some of the most debilitating sanctions, and then Bill Clinton continued them. And as a result, Saddam Hussein, at least from my analysis, used them to stay in power to say, look, this is why this is why you're this is why you're oppressed because the United States, because the West is putting these. The United Nations under the British and the United States leadership is putting these sanctions on you. This is why you're not getting food. This is why you're not getting. This is why there's not chlorine in the water because of all these dual-use items. There are items like that can't come over here from overseas. And so Saddam Hussein, as a result, was able to utilize that and was able to use that and to say that's the reason. And I think that's what that's exactly what the current Iranian regime, whether it's the Ayatollahs or right, President Rahimi, right. I think they're going to use. The, I think they're going right. to use this as a political weapon, and they're really going to weaponize me, this. And I don't. The let, me, let me go to Trump. let me go to Admiral Ken. Admiral Ken, we saw what happened in these in the sanctions pre-Trump. Uh, we saw the ascent of Hussein Rouhani, who is the Iranian president, who was largely looked at as a moderate, as an honest broker that we could have dealt with in Washington. Former mayor of Tehran, uh, very Western cultured centric type. 
And yet, he's now one of the more vocal supporters of the rhetoric that we're hearing coming out of the Supreme Leader, the Ayatollah Khamenei, not to be confused, by the way, Mr. President, with Ayatollah Khomeini, who's been dead long now, 20 years. Did we did we literally shoot ourselves in the foot by not yeah, taking did. advantage? Yeah, 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 we did, because Trump is not dealing with, with the previous president, Akhmadinejad. That guy was nuts. And <laughs> <laughs> he was nuts. You know, to your point, you know, the, the current president of Iran, um, while he will never be, will never be um, – so westernized that he's going to get rid of the theocracy that rules that country. But you know, he was he was he signed the deal. He was willing to negotiate. And to Dan's point, yeah, you know, maybe the deal wasn't everything we wanted it to be. But rather than blowing the whole thing up, you know, going back and said, hey, look, you know, let's let's make some modifications here because you guys are still you guys are still doing some bad things in the region. You need to stop that. And some of the bad things that they were doing were directly related to U.S. military deaths. Of personnel assigned to the region, and right. so you know, you know, it's been posited that you know, you know, one of the main reasons that President Trump was in such a really hurry to uh, to blow up that 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 agreement is because he's really interested in blowing up all things that that have got Obama, uh, Barack Obama's signature on it. Whether that's true or not, I think in this situation he really has done some serious damage and and created a created yet another crisis that. His organization, his administration is going to have to manage, and if they do that as well as they've done uh, with the, uh, the 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 uh, the Trump initiated crisis at our southern border, I, I really am, am kind of anxious about this. Now, I will say this: um, I think that the president's decision not to have a bombing strike uh, because. They shot down one of our one of our drones. Was probably was right. a good thing. And, I, and we'll get back. I, I, I'm, and we'll get I'm back to that, Ken. We're going to get okay. back to that because I want to talk about again, the military no, this, aspect. This, this is this is, but you know, quite frankly, yeah, I think we've we've created yet another mess where 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 there need not have been one. Alan Moore, you you agree that we well, lost an opportunity with with well, uh, Rosani? Well, what I want to say is that this president gets a lot of things wrong. Just in, in terms <laughs> of, defi- I was going to say, define, in, in define terms, where. Hang on, in, in terms of content, but even when he could be right or when he's got an argument, he screws up the execution. That, that's so, true. So, in the case of Iran, a, an argument could be made that it was not working out in our interest. It was suggested here that we should have started working with Iran. I would say that what we should have done is gone to the other parties to the agreement and said in in consultation with them, to those who shared most of our, our views and our concerns about a nuclearized uh, uh, Iran, would say, we are we are likely to move forward to to walk away from the agreement. We'd like to figure out how to do this with you guys rather than go alone. You have these conversations. You talk about problems with the agreement. You listen to what they say. You try to come up with a cooperative with with a, with an alliance. In this case, it's not the whole world. It's a handful of countries. And figure out if there's some things you could agree on. We might not then walk away. We might then collectively say to Iran, you need to clean up other aspects of what you're doing. You are putting this agreement at risk. But no, we never go yeah, but, but, to talk to other allies. We don't do it with it China even, trade. We, I mean, there's issues. There it goes even deeper issues. than that, though, Alan, is, is the fact that we had a possible sensible leader in President Rouhani that we could have dealt with as a moderate, we have, I mean, we've basically taken him from our side and put him into the hands of the Ayatollahs. Well, he was never on our side. But, well, but, but, he, but he would have but, been a broker we could have dealt but, with. But the point is, it, it's really the tactics of how you do that. And all I'm doing is pushing back on the thought that we could have, that, 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 that Rouhani and we could have put something together. We should have started where we never start anymore uh, with, with our this allies. president. With our allies, so that we're not isolated, we're not going alone. We don't have we we don't have 
uh, we're not in conflict with all other parties. We try to 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 find our d- d- strengthen our alliance, come up with a common plan, and then go. Yeah. Then we're stronger, and we may we're putting not the car blow before the horse, basically uh, blow ourselves apart. But but this president, is, as Ken points out, if 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 it had if it had President Obama's name on it, then it's automatically bad. Right. A and B, he's got some kind of an uh, 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 of this old world. I don't even want to say old world because it, it, it it's no world. That it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's no world. It's Trump. This is world. not logic. Well, that America can can call the shots right. and get its way, and that has not been true for a very long time. Yeah, I, joining us on the phone, I believe it's her, is the former attorney for the Clinton 2016 campaign in Ohio. She is the. Bar certified attorney in the great state of New York and New Jersey. She is Sharmila Chari. Hi, Sharmila. Hi, Justin. Welcome She's back. Alive. She She's is alive. alive. I know. She's alive. She's alive. Hi. Yay. Anyway, uh, Sharmila, we're talking about Iran, obviously. You've been listening to the discussions. Uh, hearing what Alan said, and I agree with Alan to an extent, though, but I would like your take. Did. It, it, what kind of an opportunity did we miss, not just now, but it seems like we lost uh, many opportunities in dealing with moderates inside the regime in Iran, and we seem to blow it every time. Is that something that we're never going to see again? Is that a path we'll never be able to go down again? You know, I think that we have done irreparable damage to ourselves, not just you know in our sort of backtracking on the Iran nuclear deal and are backtracking on the Paris Climate Accord, that all of a sudden, the U- right, we have jeopardized the kind of, you know, metaphorical full faith and credit of the United States government by, you know, agreeing to something under one administration and then doing a sharp 180 in, in another, in the subsequent administration. So I think that beyond, you know, any opportunities that we've kind of in the short and medium term lost in Iran, both, you know, sort of diplomatically, politically, economically, we are also jeopardizing our long-term credibility with these moves, and I don't know if that's something that you and Alan kind of touched There's, on before I was able to before I was able to join. Well, Sharmila, let me ask but you I, this question. Sharmila, let me ask you this question: Did the does the credibility that we're blowing with Iran does that have a ripple effect in the region and globally? I'm sorry, Justin. Can you repeat that question? With 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 the damage that we've done with the relationship with Iran, does that have ripple effect in the region and does it have a ripple effect globally? It certainly has a ripple effect in the region, right? You know, anything, you you already see the sectarian conflicts in this region kind of becoming even more extreme under under the Trump administration, right? The, the Saudis feel empowered, right? When you, when it comes to their sort of this blockade of Qatar that they've led and their actions in Yemen and their sort of, you know, extrajudicial killing of journalists, you know, you can you can see that they have felt empowered in the scenario. You know, anything that we do to disempower Iran, obviously, you know, Israel takes a message from that. So obviously it has very obvious ripple effects in the region itself. The rest of the world, you know, I think the rest of the world has learned to sort of wait and see with President Trump, and their kind of immediate strategy has just been placate, right? Tell him what he wants to hear and just do whatever you want behind the scenes because he's never going to enforce anything else, right? He's never going to question you or doubt you if you profess your extreme loyalty to him. Dan, I'm going to start with you, and then I'm going to go to Alan, but I want your take on this first. Did the original did the original sanctions work to get the Iranians to the table for the joint agreement? It wasn't the only thing that got the Iranians to, to the table. Part of what got the Iranians to the table was something, I mean, continuing in the, in the larger region, the idea of having the United States as an honest broker at the table was part of the deal. And nobody, to answer your other question that you, that you posed to Sharmila, of course the rest of the world is seeing this, that the United States is governed by the whims of a man who's not not only not playing chess, he's trying to play checkers on a tic-tac-toe board. He doesn't know how to play the game. And 
Yes, the analogy is meant to be weird because there's no rhyme or reason to what this president is doing. That's the point. <laughs> and no, I think we got that. I think so, I think we caught that. Uh, one, that, that was in reference to Alan's that, look of, uh, of yeah, confusion. No, no, no. I, I think he caught it. I think he just that was that was way out there. Let me go one step further. Other so, countries have interests, and the idea that this president – actually, it's not even an idea. Clearly, this president doesn't understand that not just domestically but globally, issues are dynamic. The world is constantly changing, and lo and behold, other countries have their own interests right, that they want to advance. All right, but let me go one step further. Did the, were the san- Have the sanctions been effective in total, whether it's the Obama sanctions, the original Trump sanctions – have they worked and are they effective in keeping a rogue player like Iran in in place? Well, the question is, what do we expect the Iranians to do next? If the Iranians don't trust us to talk and we've imposed new sanctions, what do the Iranians do next? Well, this, now this in brings absence up, of the ability to talk, the what is the question? All right, for Admiral Admiral Ken, and then I want to go before the break. I want to go to Alan, but go ahead, Admiral Ken. Uh, I, I think we I think we're missing the point. So, what what behavior? What thing do we expect, does, does the administration expect them to do as a result of the sanctions? Don't I build mean, nuclear but, wall, Don't build nuclear bombs. They, they, but to, to everybody's point on this panel, they were, they had, they, they were agreeing. They, they were following the agreement. And so now, now because they shot down a drone, we're going to layer more sanctions on them. You know, to really get them to stop building nuclear weapons, but they, they'd already stopped. You're saying that they, all it's going to do is piss them off. Why well, should they trust you know, I'm us? Reminded, I'm, reminded, I'm reminded of something my great-grandmother once said, nice, nice, you know, poorly educated black lady from the South. Enough <laughs> is enough and too much is stinky. I mean, this is ridiculous. But did you did, really, your foreign, your foreign policy commentary was enough is enough, but too much is too stinky? Enough is enough and too much is stinky, and I think it applies here. That's I mean, actually brilliant. I love it. George W. Bush, fool I, me once, shame on you, fool me twice, and you're not going to fool me anymore. <laughs> Good point. That, that works, too. There is no reason for you to go up to W. He didn't do anything to you, Dan. Yeah, that's right. Alan, Alan Moore, and before the break, I want, I want your, your thoughts on this. You've dealt with sanctions before. Are sanctions effective in keeping rogue players in place. Sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. In the they, case they, of Iran? They never do everything you want. Usually they do something. I think that sanctions were critical, as, as Dan said, critically important, bringing Iran to the table in working out the, 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 the content of this agreement. They didn't want to have to live with, with these kinds of restrictions. On the one hand, they didn't have to give up forever the notion. They didn't have to, to uh, basically just uh, open up their kimono to everything they're doing, but they did have to, to uh, the international Kimono of everything they're doing. They wear kimonos in, in, in Iran. They, 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 <laughs> figure of speech, Dan. Yeah, I was going to say, really, um, Dan. So, 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 uh, for Dan, it would be silk pajamas. So, so they went along. Your picture. They went. It is. They went along with with this agreement and found it in their in their interest. But they went along with the agreement in part because of the sanctions, which most of the West was living with. It was not it was not buying Iranian oil and it was not allowing Iran to carry on international transactions through normal world uh, financial systems. So so it was really important to them to be able to. To, to sell and to utilize these mechanisms. The U.S. then said, you know something, it was a bad deal and we're walking from it and we're going to reimpose these sanctions and we're going to also pressure our allies and our partners in this deal so if they don't follow our lead, we're going to do them some harm. Right. It is this unilateral ordering around uh, of people as though they have no leverage uh, a and B, no, no strong feelings, no willingness or ability to strike back at us in other ways. So let me, let me just paraphrase. What I'm hearing from you is the, the sanctions leading up to the Trump administration were effective to get them to the table. Is that yes or no? Leading up to the this was the in agreement. the Obama this was in the Obama administration right. that allowed that were really important in allowing the agreement in the first okay. place. Did. We overplay. Have we overutilized sanctions when it comes to Iran? It strikes me. The reason why I ask this question, I'd like, and I want your opinion on this, Alan, is, you know, 
we've already shut down a large part of what would be the major economic drivers in Iran. They're basically at a point right now, like, what are you going to do? Take away our oxygen? I think, I get the impression that we've overplayed sanctions so much that we've actually done a complete 180 of what we wanted them to do. Instead of getting them compliance, they've kind of gone completely against us. And now they now we've got Russia and China ready to jump in. And go, yep, you're right, you're right. Look, we 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 who's had a, right? We, Iran's right or we're, we, United States is right? No, 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 no. China and Iran are going that that Iran and Iran's right. They've been sanctioned and they've been over sanctioned. We had this agreement. It was controversial. There were still controversies related to to the, the deal, to Iran, to its ongoing behavior. We wanted to modify their behavior further. We we unilaterally decided to try to make them capitulate to right. a changed deal. We didn't work with our allies. We stupidly went down this unilateral route. Right. Reducing our chances of success, it, it you know one one can make the argument that it was okay to try to go back and see if we could rework the agreement, but not the way right. we did it. We've got to we, we've got to take a break here. When we come back, I want to talk about the military aspect. And Admiral Ken, I know you've got some commentary. I'm going to give you first dibs at this. Uh, this is backroom politics. We will be back in about a minute thirty. Stay with us. Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. And we're back. We're talking Iran. We're talking all things Iran. And in studio, I've got Alan Moore, Dan Lipner. On the big screen, we've got uh, Admiral Ken. We've got Richard Bino. We've got long-lost friend, Sharmla Chari, and of course, behind the glass today, our host, oh my God, Charlie, Charlie Bernie is working the boards at, in the uh, very crowded cage also, Eric Thomas, our producer. Hey, Eric. Uh, we're talking to Ron. I, I want to talk a little bit right now. Uh, we talked about the sanctions. We talked about the relationships. Let's talk about the military aspect of this. Admiral Ken, I want your take on... Uh, the Iranians have arguably let me oh, let me rephrase this. The evidence shows that the Iranian military may have perpetrated attacks on at least four foreign flag tanker vessels transiting the Straits of Hormuz. The first question I have to you is how important to the global economy are the Straits of Hormuz and that shipping lane? That's always been a very critical choke point uh, in any um, any naval strategy class. You know, we always talk about you know the places in the world uh, that uh, if uh, traffic is interdicted could cause um, 
uh, a number of countries um, to to uh, pay attention to it, and and the Straits of Hormuz is still one of them. Now, interestingly, you know the U.S. Uh, since the first Gulf War has dramatically decreased its reliance on oil from that part of the world, but uh, other countries have not followed uh, followed suit. Um, um, Europe, uh, the Chinese, a lot of lot of organ- lot of countries still still depend on oil coming through the Straits of Hormuz. How 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 key of a strategic point does that become to our allies as opposed to us? It's 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 big. It's it's a big deal. Um, I, I think that um, uh, if 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 Iran really wanted to make its presence known. Um, uh, in uh, in in the uh, the in the in the world, especially in the space of the you know, the place where the other signatories to the JPOA are concerned, other than the U.S., shutting it down or dramatically uh, impacting uh, uh, oil shipments out of that area would be one way of doing it. Um, the tanker wars that took place back in the 1980s, when I was a JO, um, uh, were really really. Um, Impressive, and it made everybody pay attention to, to that part of the world in in a way that they never had before. Richard Bino, this has been an area that has been highly contested, and uh, Iran has made a point of their sovereign waters, their sovereign airspace in that area around and over the Straits of Hormuz. Uh, you would have thought that we would have learned from lessons past, and yet we continue to have this fight. Uh, is there blame to be placed on what has made the Straits of Hormuz such a, tum- a tumultuous uh, shipping lane, but so critical to our global economy? Uh, all I can say to that, I guess, is simply uh, geopolitics and the fact that um, everybody, you know, it's just such a, just such a vital, as you said, choke point of, you know, in terms of where the oil, where oil comes from. And there's so much, there's so much, uh, there's so much um, economic dependence based on that. Based on what's going on there, so obviously you're going to have. Um, it's just, it's like, well, it's, I guess it's like you know, certainly it, it, it's it probably as coveted as, say, for example, you know, during the Cuban missile missile crisis, where that Cuba was, for example, because you know you shut that down, you can potentially have a world war. So I think that's certain that's certainly part of it, but it's just such a vital shipping ground. I think that's that's vital. It's a vital resource for oil, and I think you know, obviously, right. oil is a vital resource, and I think that's pretty much it. Dan Lipner. That's absolutely correct. I mean, energy resources are incredibly valuable to the global economy. Without it, everything grinds to a halt. But worth noting just a little bit of the history of the Straits of Hormuz and back when Admiral Ken was a uh, young junior officer uh, in the Navy, we actually had tankers reflag themselves as American oil tankers, specifically to give Americans, and more importantly, the U.S. Navy, more authority to protect those tankers and to protect the straits. And that was a big deal. We're not taking that additional step at this point. We are simply saber-rattling for the sake of saber-rattling. I can't, it, it can't go back to it enough that this presidency and this president and his administration is not doing the legwork that's required to get things done properly and to get the rest of the international community on board. Reflagging vessels, while a pain in the neck for the corporations involved with it, is still a comparatively minor task that could actually help change the dynamics of the conversation being had. I, 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 dis, I completely disagree. Why is that? I think, Why is that? I, I think, I think reflagging, reflagging vessels at this particular uh, juncture would do exactly what we're trying to do, and that's trying to get Donald Trump to back away from going to war. Okay, so right now, right now, in, in the last a week or so, uh, we almost uh, conducted an airstrike on the shoot-down of a drone. You reflag a vessel, especially with tensions being as high as they are, and uh, an Iranian patrol boat, and, and let's, 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 let's keep in mind, the Iranian Navy, the Iranian Navy thinks of uh, the Gulf as their, as their playground. They, they think they own it all. They've always behaved that way. They don't legally. And in international law, they don't. But they've always behaved that way. So well, they've been—they've always been particularly active in the Straits of Hormuz. I mean, yes, we've they, seen this they, before. I mean, it is their backyard. 
but but it, it's their backyard. But what I'm saying is, after you get through the straits, going 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 north into the Gulf, they think that that's their their backyard as well. So, given the current level of tensions, you reflag a uh, a tanker with the U.S. flag on it, and they know that it's been reflagged because, again, you know, you you the the, the names are in a registry, and they go after that tanker. Donald Trump's hands are tied at that point. He's gonna have to he's gonna have to do something militarily to 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 go back. And so I think the key thing here, what we were talking about before, is let's let's figure out a way to, to for everybody to put down the Twitter machine and start having real conversations with each other about what the possibilities are about trying to find a peaceful way out of this. I absolutely. So last- I absolutely agree with you, Ken. But the real question is, what the hell is the goal, or more importantly, the strategy to achieving that goal that this White uh, House has? Nobody knows. You know, Dan, 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 and I, you and I are completely on the same page. That's what I was trying to say in the last segment. So we we have basically we we have we 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 use sanctions to get them to the negotiating table. They came to the table. They were following the uh, the, the requirements, the non-nuclear rec- requirements of the of the agreement. And then, because on a whim, the president decided to do away with that and level more sanctions at them. To what end? What are we trying to get them to do? What is the, what is the long-term strategic objective of, of, the, of the policies that we're putting in place? I, I, don't have, I have not heard anybody in this White House uh, state I think that. they want a We Love an America Day as opposed to the Death to America Day. I think they we're want not going to get that, though. That, I mean, look, I mean, we got to look at this practically. Well, I am looking at it. No, 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 no. I'm not saying you're not. Abel I think the Ken. people on the show are the people looking at it far more practically than anyone in the White yeah, House. Yeah, but I mean, but Charlotte, Charlie, I mean, what are the chances that we're all of a sudden going to see? We had the opportunity eight years ago or ten years ago when. You know when when the uh, the college students tried doing uh, a, a, what I call a velvet revolution, they were pro Western. We had the opportunity, but what are the chances today that those same people are going to be we love America, we you know hug America instead of death to America? I don't think it's so much death to America as it is we don't trust America. Like I said in the previous segment, right? America is showing them that you know. When we enter into a good faith promise, we can take it back at any moment. And any, you know, good actions by the Iranian people or their government to honor those agreements will be ignored. And all of a sudden, you know, threats are going to be levied that, you know, may or may not be materialized or acted upon, you know, upon the irrational sort of whims of a, a man, as Dan said, who doesn't even understand the rules of the game he's playing. Right. So I think yep. that... I, I don't think that that sort of, I don't think that that modern modernist reformist element of the population has disappeared. But I think that it's going to take a lot more work on the United States or Europe's part to get them to become active again and to get them to reignite their efforts because it's going to be that much harder to convince the rest of the population that any reforms will actually, you know can actually materialize and will actually be rewarded by the outside world. You're saying we, we, you're saying we've burned that bridge. I don't know that we've burned that bridge, but we've made it significantly. We've put a lot of potholes in it and made it significantly harder to cross. Uh, Admiral, you Ken? know, just if you can oh, go sorry. before. The, yeah, go ahead. Oh, Richard, sorry, just a, a, yeah, just a little bit before the Velvet Revolution, you have to look at actually what the effect of a 9/11 had on this, because as I say, President Katami, who was the, who was actually a moderate who came into power in '97 sent letters to the United States saying there should be some sort of a reprochement. When George, on January 29th of, 2000 and th- of 2003, George W. Bush declared an axis of evil in his State of the Union address. He put, put Iraq, North Korea, and Iran, even though, they had just, even though they had a moderate president at the time, in the same boat and called them an axis of evil, say we're not going to negotiate with them. You got to, in a sense, ask the question, what if we had essentially tried to do something to make an alliance with them at that time when Iranian when Iranians, um, when 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 the Iranian spirit in turn was a lot was a lot better and a lot more sympathetic towards the United States because of what had happened at 9/11. What if the Bush administration had gone to Iran and said these are the strategic objectives we have, this is what the the interests we have? I think we actually potentially could have formed some sort of an alliance there, which certainly could have helped us in terms of um, the Iranian Iraq relationship and just the fact that. Perhaps we could perhaps we could have negotiated something at that time, but because the Bush administration was so bellicose 
and then the Obama administration came in, and at least at, the, at least toward the end of the administration, they became bellicose as well. And then the Trump administration, I think that we definitely we had an opportunity there. Right. And, you know, as Woodrow right. Wilson said, he said, um, sanctions are the, the silent, deadly remedy, and now we're putting the silent, deadly remedy right. on 80 million people. Right. Admiral well, Ken and first. No, the common thread is between the George W. Bush and Trump administration. Yeah, that's yes, true, absolutely. too. Absolutely. Admiral Ken, you were shaking your head during Rich's commentary. Well, I guess the thing is, I mean, that, that those comments were, were great, and, and if grasshoppers carry forty fives, birds wouldn't screw with them. <laughs> <laughs> you are full of folksy commentary today. And play on tic-tac-toe. I'm back with my people here, dude. <laughs> so the thing, the, the thing, the thing that I would say though is, you know, yeah, the the Bush administration did call him out because they were actively involved in, in funding and supporting Hezbollah, and so you, you're looking at. You're looking at the world right after 9-11, and you're comparing it to now, which I think is something of an apples and oranges comparison. There was a lot of crazy stuff going on, and, and I'm sorry, the U.S. was crazy with anger and grief at those at that point. We're not in that place now. Right now, we're now, now we're at a place. Now we're at a place where where we 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 got the Iranians to the table. They were willing to negotiate, and we basically we threw sand in their face. And the, and and Sharma is absolutely right. You know, we have basically shown our allies and our and our adversaries that our word doesn't mean jack. It doesn't. Right. And if they if they enter into an agreement with us, that that you know, and that 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 agreement could get easily overturned by either the next Congress or the next president. And if you go back, if you go back to the um, to the videotape I, uh, that, that 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 came up, I guess some number of years ago, uh, where it showed um, something that. Um, and I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but it was a videotape that was, or, or, or image that was shown here in the U.S. that was used as a reason for the Muslims uh, in in, uh, in Lebanon to to go after our, our embassy and kill the ambassador, which was completely untrue. But what came out of that was the fact that other people, especially in that part of the world, don't understand our system of government anyway. Right. Right. They don't. And then when you turn around and say, hey, you know, we shook hands, we agreed with something, all of a sudden, ah, change your mind, never mind. That just goes to, to basically completely remove our credibility. Right. Can we Dan Lipner, real quick. And in that same credibility, can we also just look at the fact of how terrifying it is that the president ordered a strike and then on a whim called it back? Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold mind on. Mind you, I, I'm okay with not having attacked Iran. The question is, if the president's whim had been ever so slightly different, plans were in the air. The idea that he kind of forgot about exactly what the results of the strike were going to be. They, wait a minute. They, they shot down a U.S., although unmanned, they shot down a U.S. military aircraft in international airspace, international over that's international not, waters. That's 150 people's lives, dude. Not no, 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 but no, what no, I'm saying right. is... And, and to be clear, I am okay with not in not attacking Iran. My point being is the whim of this president that changed based wait, what, on wait, wait, information you that, that we, he already... He, absolutely already had in hand, but then changed his mind. The idea that he he asked only the generals, no Navy involved with this, because only generals. So he, he went back and asked the generals, okay, how many people are going to die? 150? That's not proportional. Okay, we shouldn't do that. Are you honestly telling me, and Admiral Ken being the military expert on our panel, are you honestly telling me the president wasn't told in advance what the casualty count was likely to be from there, U.S. attacks? No, 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 no. I can tell no you from way, experience. There's no, way that he was, there's no way that he wasn't told. Well, no, 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 no. But what I can tell you is, what I can tell you is, is that, you know, when look, and, and again, I'm not one to normally defend Donald Trump, but what I will defend him on is I think this is the most presidential thing he's done. Is I agree. Are, are you saying he never should have put the planes in the air? He should never should have greenlit no, 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 the no, attack. No, 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 no. I, I will tell you this: if what we don't know and we may never know is what exactly the target was, the anticipation, the, uh, the target, targets, the targets, plural. probably hundreds of targets. They were probably they were. I would I would disagree. I would say dozens, maybe. I would say you're talking about anti-aircraft batteries. You're talking about command and control for missile sites. I would say dozens. You're talking about 150 casualties. What I would say is— And the president said and the president, he didn't and the know until the, the, the president has got, the wait, 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 wait. 
Uh, say what Those you were his about. words. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold it's on. His words. His, his words. He has said hold more on. than that since then. But what I'm saying to you is that he had a lot of stuff going on. I will say this: Do I think that an attack would have been valid? Yes, to take out an anti-aircraft, anti-missile batteries, and command and control capabilities. Absolutely, I thought that would have been justified. Did he call them back? Was it a smart move? Absolutely. We do not want to get into a shooting war with an established military presence that Iran does have. This is not Iraq. This is a solid, hardened, tested military that if we go to war, this is a long-standing war. Admiral Ken, am I wrong in this? We're still in Iraq. That's a long-standing war, too. So that, I, I think I think that a fight with Iran would look nothing like the fight we had with Iraq. That's that's a given. Uh, I do I do take exception to the fact that um, we should be um, patting Donald Trump on the back for first ordering the strike and then taking it back. I think that's just not sensical. Right. Um, I, I do think that some form of reaction may have been warranted with shooting down the drone but i don't think i don't think answering that shoot down with a uh, a multi-site bombing strike is is the right answer hey, um well let me, let me go and, one step further go ahead no let me go one step further i want to ask alan more this how deep are the strings being pulled by john bolton on this <laughs> you know are they the, the, it, it I, I don't think that from what we've seen with this president that we can credibly say that anyone other than the president himself is pulling strings. There are people, and the president himself has said he, he got conflicting advice. Um, he jokes about about Bolton being a, a warmonger, but he's also talked about his generals, which I believe, even though it's his shorthand of talking about his military leaders, including is my hunch, naval leaders. But that, Does he that, know that they are called the admirals? He, he talks about them as generals because he's, you know, this is Trump speak. You know, I, I don't know if he ordered it and then held it back or decided 10 minutes before the go that he had changed his mind. In his initial comments, he said, I... I suddenly asked these guys how many people are going to die, and they said 150, and I said, wow, that seems disproportional, so I held back. That, of course, is nonsense. As Ken points out, as anybody who knows anything about how stuff works, especially if it involves the military, but other half-intelligent uh, uh, policy people, they would say, Mr. President, here are your options. Here's what we're talking about. Here's what would happen. When challenged later about about whether he was hearing for the first time that there might be 150 casualties only 15 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever before, he said, no, they told me there would be casualties, but I didn't have the final number. So he backtracked a bit by acknowledging the obvious, which is when you're considering stuff like this, one of the key ingredients <laughs> is what what kind of impact would it have? How many people would die? And and it would is it proportionate? Would it be perceived as proportionate by the enemy, by allies, by the media, and so on? So the the, right. the, the, the weird thing about this is we know sadly uh, way too much about what went on here. And and of course he keeps changing his story. So he keeps changing, and it all all of which makes us very uncomfortable. Right. Wait, we were ten minutes away from sending scores of cruise missiles to different sites where people would die. Why is it in this president's interest to provide that information? By the way, by yeah. the way, yeah, a cruise, can. Mi- a, a cruise missile, two cruise missiles, greatly, greatly. Uh, is is more expensive than that one drone. Just saying. That's true. But wait, hey, wait, wait, uh, wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Hey, is that is that the fact? Because that was a big ass drone, right? It, so the, so worth over a hundred million dollars. So Are each cruise, cruise missile's worth more it, than they're, fifty they're worth million the, each. They're they're yeah. definitely worth about sixty five to seventy million each, depending on oh, the yeah. payload. Big bomb. 
lot yeah, of, it's, lot a, of it's a it's a it's a big. You got to understand something. A, a drone is basically a bunch of cameras and a jet engine, and the ability and and it's well, flying and a bunch, on, of, and a bunch of avionics. And it's, well, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's an avionics plane. But basically, what so the the drone is obviously something I, I know about. The drone that was shot down is a Global Hawk. It's made by I believe Northrop Grumman. Boeing. Uh, is, is it Boeing or Northrop? Uh, anyway, one of, one of the two major defense contractors. It's not a General Atomics one. Uh, the Global Hawk itself is an expensive $110 million. It's, it's a jet engine versus a push prop. And I don't want to go too deep in the weeds here. Cruise missiles, uh, which are, what's that? I stand corrected. You're right. It was Grumman. It was Northrop Grumman, right. So uh, it is, uh, now the, the cruise missiles have been traditionally made by General Dynamics, my old employer, for, dis- for full disclosure. Those can go, depending on... The tracking systems, et cetera, could go for as much as uh, sixty-five or seventy million dollars a piece. So, yeah, they, it could be it could be much more expensive uh, payloads in in Admiral Ken's defense. Yes, uh, getting away from that for a second, I, I want to go to I, I want to go to Sharmila. Sharmila, here's a question for you. We've now basically gotten to a point where. Today, as early as this morning and or earlier this afternoon, we've got a Twitter war going between Tehran and Washington. We've got our president of the United States in an active Twitter war between himself and the president and heads of the foreign ministry in uh, in Tehran. When did our foreign policy start to rem- resemble? Uh, a Kardashian Twitter war. I believe that was November 9th, 2016. All right, that would be fair. I mean, <laughs> this can't be helping our credibility globally with our allies. Absolutely. Nothing the president does helps our global credibility with allies, except maybe Israel and Saudi Arabia. So what, what benefit does... What benefit Not does even Tehran, North Korea. But what benefit does Tehran have in engaging in a Twitter war with, with the president? I think that for them, it's a no-lose scenario. They're already considered a rogue nation by, obviously, our government and by most of the European governments. And so, again, the same reason Kim, Jong-un, Kim Jong-un you know, engages in these petty feuds with Donald Trump and then takes it back five minutes later, there's no downside. People already think they're nuts. So it doesn't matter if they look a little nuts when they're engaging with the president and they manage to get under his skin and get him to act out irrationally. The you know, question I, is, I, who I, can get this president to act out rationally? Just one person. Anyone. Is, is there rational there? No, no, I'm saying is, is it possible for this president to act out rationally? Oh, I, I, I guess I, rationality is in the uh, eye of the beholder. I'm sure in his mind he's acting rationally. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, uh, with that, we're going to – obviously, there's, this is developing – uh, any major, you can follow our Twitter account. We've been tweeting about any major uh, events that are happening with this. But good discussion, Alan Moore. You get the last word. Why yeah, not? just one one last thought. Just in the in the bizarre behavior of this president, he announced and and, and expected some credit and actually got some compliments. I decided not to do it because it was disproportionate. But then, but then he then, <laughs> well played, well played. And, and then, that was good, Alan. And then he, no, no, no. And then he proceeded to say. That that he really hoped that we could work with Iran. Maybe it was a mistake in shooting down the drone in the first place. Oh yeah, I forgot you know, about like, that part. Like maybe it was a it mistake. It was a loose cannon and, guy. And some, you know, somebody, some mistake. And they've got a great future if they'll just come together and work with us. He invited oh, them to but, dinner, I think. But, but by the way, he didn't go that far. We're, we're, we've got some new sanctions on some of their leaders, and and there are going to be some cyber attacks on their military. There were. So it's. A little of the, a little carrot over here and a stick over there and a carrot and a stick, and if the if the Iranians are confused, then they should join the rest of us. However, the same All they need cyber to do attacks. Is what Kim Jong Un did send a lovely letter. The same kind of cyber <laughs> attacks that the president said the the New York Times was traitorous in talking about. Yeah, that's true, <laughs> and and of course you you know in, in, under the sticking carrot. Uh, this morning, President Trump threatened that Iran would be obliterated if they attacked anything American. This gets more and more bizarre. Uh, we're going to be following it, obviously. However, but I think Iran's great thing is the Trump Tower Tehran. That's the Trump Tower. Oh, Jesus. 
On behalf of Sharmila Chari, Rich Rubino, Admiral Ken on the big screen here in studio, Alan Moore, Dan Lipner, uh, Charlie Bernie working the booth, and of course our producer Eric Trump. You can follow us on Twitter at Backroom Politics. You can follow us on Facebook, Backroom Politics Radio. You can also uh, email me your comments, thoughts, concerns, gripes, bitches. Justin at BackroomPolitics.org. By the way, you can download us as a podcast, which everybody does that listens to us, on various major podcasts, including Spotify. We're kind of a big deal right now. Uh, iTunes, or what's left of it, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. We're on iHeartRadio. We are a big deal. Have a great week, America. We'll see you soon. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.